giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robot Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Lindsay Christensen. And I am also your host, Chad Pytel. And with us today is Brian Helmig, co-founder and CTO of Zapier. Brian, thanks for joining us. Of course. Thank you so much. Excited to be here, Lindsay. Excited to be here, Chad. Brian, we at ThoughtBot, even though we're designers and developers and we are not afraid to write code, we also use the shit out of Zapier. <laughs> so Chad is a power user. <laughs> I'm a power Zapier user. In fact, I'm going to change my title from developer and CEO of ThoughtBot to developer, Zapier user, <laughs> and CEO of ThoughtBot. I think that that's the next step in my career. I love that. Yeah, I, that's that's really interesting. I, I'd be kind of curious. What are you all using Zapier for? We use it for a bunch of different things, but the two main areas are hiring automation and sales automation. Mm. So we use both an applicant tracking system with a bunch of APIs called Workable, and we use a CRM system called Zendesk Cell. It used to be called Base. And, you know, both of those systems are good, but they don't do a lot of workflow automation. If I could sort of characterize what we're using Zapier for, it's to trigger emails to candidates at the right times or if someone moves forward. Some of the things that we do, and maybe we can, uh, I don't want to get too sidetracked now right at the top of the episode, but like, for example, like if a candidate moves to a certain stage and they're a designer and they're in this city, then send out the Calendly link for a randomly selected interviewer in their city. Right. All of that's happening in Zapier. That's fascinating. I, that's a not uncommon use case for us. And one thing you'd, you you mentioned as well is sales automation, right. uh, a very common one mm-hmm. for us people always managing leads and messaging leads, a lot of very similar kind of motions there. The other thing I thought was really cool is like you all certainly, Chad, as a dev, I can imagine you you could probably build this, right? You could write the code to talk to those APIs and mess with all that, but then you'd have to deploy it. You'd have to like maintain it. And I'm, I'm assuming at that point, it's just easier to hop into Zapier, make that zap, click this, click that, copy that. Like it's just a more straightforward way to automate some of these pieces. I guess that is that resonating with you as well? Yeah. And it's also like the flexibility to say, oh, we use this tool now, or I'm trying out this system. And to just go on to Zapier and say, Does Zap- I bet Zapier has an integration with that. And right. to know that I'm not going to have to do that program. I think you know it's a common mistake. People overestimate their ability <laughs> to integrate with lots of different things. But as a developer, I know oh, it's a lot of work to actually do that in a way that works really well. And then when you then change systems or want to add another system, that I can do that really easily. It's not quite like drag and drop, but it's just as simple as that. Just go on and click the new service I want to add. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that you you kind of hit on two broad things that, you know, I think Zapier does really well. We have all these different integrations. And of course, we put the legwork in to make those work and to maintain those and keep those going. But what it gives you on the other side is sort of access to, I would say, like the best in class for whatever particular problem you're trying to solve rather than a one size fits all where everyone's 
you know, lead flow has to go through this one service, you can kind of experiment and try this or try that or add a new form right. software as service. And, and I think that's something that's rather valuable, giving the team the flexibility to use whatever, whatever tool they want to use. Is Zapier today similar to what you were thinking it would be as you were setting out to build the, the company? We're probably unique. We're not the classic, I guess, Silicon Valley story where we pivot, pivot and kind of figure out what it is and live off that VC sort of fundraising cycle. We started back in Missouri, Wade, Mike and I, and what we originally wanted to do, it was all based off of, well, Wade and I had been doing these sort of website builders kind of things where we'd stand up a WordPress site and they'd want a form and then they'd want it into MailChimp. But uh, the next real estate agent didn't want it into MailChimp. They wanted it into Aweber. Um, and you kind of got this vibe where I feel like we're repeating ourselves here a little bit. There should be sort of a system that connects that. It's not too crazy, but yet we're reinventing it each time. So that was, funny enough, very similar to where we are today, but the original sort of idea. And we, we pitched it out of Startup Weekend, which was the first one in Columbia, Missouri. It was kind of a funny side note. But we just kept working on that core idea and validating it through the first dozen or so customers. We charged for people to get into it. And the product didn't really exist at that time. But they would always be asking for integrations or connections that were business, certainly small and medium sized business oriented. And that really serendipitously drove us to create high value integrations, right? These are ones that people would be willing to pay for de facto. So we kind of steered away from other things in the market that you might've seen, you know, this very like trendy, like IOT or more like purely social network automation and those sorts of things, just because there wasn't that appetite around revenue because back in the early days we were in certainly in missouri and there wasn't we didn't imagine there'd be any vc money we just figured we'd have to make this thing self-propelled and that was really where that kind of core idea came from and we were just very lucky that the original idea of making automation easy anyone can do it especially around small businesses and medium-sized businesses in particular is where we're at today it's kind of kind of lucky looking back on that that sounds kind of similar to some of the early open source solutions that ThoughtBot was building as we were coming across things over and over again and deciding to eventually just uh, build the thing so people could reuse it. Yeah, that's interesting. What was, what was one of the things that you all built that kind of felt like it fits that mold? So we were the first consulting company in the world to, to switch to Rails. And so we created Paperclip, which mm -hmm. was a file attachment solution. And, you know, there were a couple of things out there, but it was such a common thing that to be able to see what we were doing and see what the majority of apps needed out of that solution and be able to create something, open source was the natural fit. But right. we also created a product called Airbrake, an exception catching service. And, you know, that came out of our work. And I, I think that that's the cool thing about Zapier is like there are certain things that make sense as open source and there are certain things that they need to be a service. That, and there's a big benefit to having them be in the cloud and hosted. And I sort of feel like Zapier it's hard to say that it came along at exactly the right time because if it didn't, then it probably wouldn't exist anymore. <laughs> but certainly it seemed like you were creating Zapier at an inflection point where there was this idea of the world is full of services now and something's got to connect them together. 
and I think maybe Yahoo Tubes was at at the time. Pipes, oh, pipes, yeah. pipes yeah. right. Pipes. Yep. <laughs> but like, were there any other sort of things you would point to at the time you were creating Zapier as like, oh, you know, this existed, but we thought we could do it better or? Yeah, it's an interesting way to kind of reflect because especially for you all, I, I imagine building something like Paperclip or some of these add-on apps for Rails, there was a massive like wave there mm-hmm. around. And of course, we're, we're more of a Django shop, but we saw similar things as well. And some of, we actually open sourced a few things in the early days of Zapier because we needed them. But that was never our core business per se. I think the wave that we certainly rode was, well, I'd, I'd say two things. One, probably around proliferation of APIs. Everyone had an API and there was a ton of value in them, but it was all bespoke. The only people that could really access it were people maybe like yourselves who either could build and write the code to do it or had disposal of other engineers. They could target them at building it. So there's this value, but it was all locked up behind this sort of like technical hurdle, right? Um, an expertise hurdle. So that that was a big one. And everybody had an API. SaaS services, APIs, it was the wave, uh, certainly. And the other is just the proliferation of SaaS. Zapier would be very hard to imagine existing in a world where everyone bought box software at you know Best Buy or something, like the old days of QuickBooks, right? Like that would not work with Zapier. That you cannot automate in the same way that you can with QuickBooks Online. And that entire trend, that whole industry moving there, and to be honest, it's still very much happening. We we think often of like the Fortune five million, right? This idea that there's millions of businesses out there that are trying to move forward and use these tools, but they're not optimized for them. That's very much a wave that we got on early and is still very much building at this time. So it's really APIs and the proliferation of that. And then also the classic kind of software is eating the world. And RK is very specifically online software um, kind of eating the world. So mm-hmm. those were two big sort of waves that made Zapier uh, what it is today, mm-hmm. certainly. What I'm hearing is you didn't necessarily let competition or that there wasn't a lot of competition in the early days that would dissuade you or dissuade potential customers? It, certainly in the early days, there wasn't a whole lot of competition. The competition was, for lack of a better word, just like ignorance or lack of skill, or mm-hmm. I would say control C, control V, right? Like this this idea that, oh, I'll just kind of, I'll just kind of get by with the way that I know this works, or maybe there's like native integrations. It was a very, very fragmented competition kind of environment, right? It was a million other things, and most of it was just kind of do-it-yourself sort of a thing. Mm -hmm. So for us, it was never really that. It was always kind of creating something that didn't exist, this idea that I certainly think now automation is a very big topic just for society over the next couple of decades. It may be one of the defining topics of our time. So us leaning into automation and giving that to more businesses that don't necessarily have the capital to deploy around, here's a dozen engineers to build out our automations is something that we get really excited about, right? Like, so maybe this is like the beginning of another inflection point where who really benefits from automation? Who can like actually have access to these sorts of tools? Because it used to be, it certainly wasn't small businesses, right? It wasn't the entrepreneur, unless they taught themselves the code or something that was much harder to come by. So when we thought of competition, it's not true to say there wasn't any, Mm -hmm. but it was so fragmented and out there that it just wasn't a thing. I think over the next five years, we'll certainly see more and more in here as kind of the space in the market matures. Uh, I'm sure you'll you'll see more competition for sure. And what year was it when um, you founded the company? That would have been late 2011. And what was that transition like from 
where it sounds like maybe you were built a thing to solve a problem you had in your day to day and then decided to focus it on it full time? Yeah. So this kind of brings us back. We were, we were still in Missouri. Um, we were all kind of like working. And the idea was we'll just peel one of us off one at a time, right? To like go full time here. And Wade was the first person to go full time. And we were also really big into this site. Uh, y'all may have heard of it called Hacker News and Y Combinator. Mm -hmm. And we were big Paul Graham fans um, and read a lot of his stuff. So we applied to YC, totally got rejected the first time. But the second time they were like, oh, y'all are doing something interesting here. And we were fortunate enough to get into YC of the summer of 2012. Did they tell you why you were rejected the first time? No, but they didn't need to. Like it was... <laughs> It was basically nothing existed, right? So the first right. time we applied, it was, hey, we have this idea and we wrote a little code. It was very thin. The second time we applied, we were like, hey, we've been writing this code. We have this thing. By the way, there's 500 people that have paid us $100 or whatever it was to get in. We haven't started charging. By then, it wasn't a monthly fee or anything. We haven't launched like officially. But we were doing the classic jump the line and pay 100 bucks or whatever it was to jump the line kind of a thing around invites. And that's what gave us the confidence, certainly for, for Wade to go full time. And then I think that was like a clear signal to the Y Combinator team that, oh, wow, there's something really interesting here. And that was a that ended up being a very big batch. And I think they scaled down after that. So maybe they were just letting everyone in <laughs> that summer. Um, but I certainly say that was like an inflection point from how we were approaching building the business there is a difference between that and kind of really scaling it and kind of being thoughtful around scaling it and then just being you know able to talk to folks who are like how does this grow to be this big thing and kind of thinking it through it that way rather than how do we get all three of us to work full time on it right which was certainly you know a milestone we had had to get past but that was where our thinking was at the time so that was that was a big shift in how we approached the problem and approach the space approach the product big change one of the things that when you start talking to investors and you're working on your pitch, I sometimes hear them or, or the expectations that are being set you know, on the kinds of growth you're going to have and what your addressable market is. And I feel like a lot of new startups, especially if they're consumer focused or something like that, set really high unrealistic sites. What expectations did you think? How did you think about the business? Did you think, oh, you know, every company in the world is going to be using Zapier someday? Or was it something other than that? If I'm bringing myself back to those times, I still think a healthy portion of our like brain cycles were on, hey, we got to build this cool thing. It should exist. And there's just so much work we got to do. We should do that. The way that I guess it kind of connected is we wanted to figure out ways to add more and more integrations and make them high quality. So like that was kind of the problem, right? Like we had, I don't know, maybe a hundred and something services by then. And today we're at 1500. So the thinking was, how do we scale it out from there? Cause we don't want to like me personally coding. Cause like for a long time when those people would jump the line and they'd pay us a hundred bucks, I'd get an email that said, Hey, we really need Trello now. And then I would build it as fast as possible and ship it that obviously is not a great way to scale past that. So we were trying to think of ways to make that more scalable. And a lot of that came to building a platform where anyone could plug into it. For us, it's completely free. If you want to add your own API to Zapier, 
we have this kind of node SDK, you can do that. And it's really cool. We use it internally to build our own integrations as well, but it's also available externally and kind of open so folks can add their own. So that was one of the first things that we were trying to figure out, how do we really scale? Because we knew we could deliver the product, like SaaS itself is like really scalable. You can deliver it to everyone at really low marginal cost, but providing those integrations was really, really tricky. And that's where we started spending a lot more of our cycles and our thinking. So that was a that was a big inflection, I think, in how we wanted to build that. And of course, like I think we were thinking of it initially as like, hey, this is really cool. We should have a node SDK and then anyone could build it. And it was right in front of us. But in the end, I think it really it really laid out this plan to scale the platform and scale what customers can do and like really add this universality to our platform, which was really key to growing it and scaling it. From my perspective, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Zapier has seemed pretty consistently focused pretty exclusively on your customers and your target market being businesses rather than individuals or consumers. Is that accurate or was there ever a time where you thought that a lot of people who were individuals were going to be signing up and using Zapier? Certainly there was times where we kind of colored outside the lines there. I remember a really funny smart person emailed us and was like, why is AIM, AOL Instant Messenger, at the top of your list of supported services? Well, the the reason is was that we just put things into like alphabetical order or something. (laughs) And in fact, like what should have been at the top of the list was something like, you know, pick your poison around like CRM or a spreadsheet or or something people do work with, right? Mm -hmm. So there was certainly components like that where we were not as thoughtful and prescriptive about it. But if we were really trying to find what created the value for our customers, it tended to be around businesses. And we always honed in on that. We were always focused on, you know, revenue as a proxy for customer value. This was something, and it's still something we talk about a lot today, where it's not that in and of itself, the revenue is the thing. It's the, you know, the means and the ends, and that's all. But actually, it's a really good proxy for this person found this valuable. And when we looked at everything through those perspectives or through that lens, right, it gave us this perspective of businesses, small businesses, small medium businesses are really important to us as customers. That doesn't exclude anything on the other ends. Like I know there's a ton of solopreneurs, right, that are using Zappy to do all kinds of crazy stuff. And it's a killer use case for that, right? Um, And there's also big companies that have teams within the organization that are using Zapier to do really cool stuff as well. It's more like everybody in the team being able to do like 10%, 15% more, you know, in terms of productivity. And that like adds up to being something really interesting to an organization. So there's different ways this is expressed, but it always kind of came back to the nugget of the folks who needed this the most were smaller businesses. And it's funny, like back when I started Zapier, I would think small business means less than 10 people. But in reality, that's up to, I forget what the exact cutoff is, but like 100 something employees is technically a small business. Right? I think I think it's actually 500, right? Small is it? business goes My up to My guess was going to be 1,000. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I think technically yeah. like the government definition of small business is something like 500 right. people or something. And that's in a way, and obviously I'm still suffering from that bias a bit, but I think like small businesses are really small. But like, if you look at them compared to the behemoths, which are 50, 60, 70,000 right. employees, yeah, they're pretty tiny. So we're really focusing on that. We really want to deliver value for those folks. And they're the ones that need more of the help versus, you know, if, you, if you've got 10,000 developers on staff, you can carve off several teams to build these, right? right? But when you're a smaller team, having tools like that 
to give more automation to your team is really, really powerful. So th those are the things that we really hone in on and things that we get excited about, right, as a team. And when you were focusing on small to medium-sized businesses, is that something that you all had a hypothesis about and then went and tried to serve them? Was it reactionary? Did you put it out in the world and then learn who was finding the most value? You know, if I go back to those original, like who were the folks that were willing to type in their credit card for this crazy thing, right, on this service that they've never heard of, they were folks that had a distinct pain around integrating these services or automating them. And it was almost exclusively around what value they're going to create on the other side, right? So, you know, if I think back to your all's use cases, leads and hiring, they're both contain a lot of opportunity within. We hire a really great person that can really be, the team needs it. It's really helpful to the team. If we can pull in these leads and these clients and these customers and give them a great experience, that's really, really valuable for us. And those were the ones that I'm assuming would be the things that you all would plop down the credit card for and you'd be interested. So it was a little bit of reactionary. You could call it reactionary. You could call it like evolutionary pressure. You could call it something more along the lines of customer research. But at the heart of it, it was that loop of these are the folks that need it, that value it and are willing to buy in this manner and doubling down on that and being like, oh, that's interesting. Let's do more of that. Let's build that. Let's extend that service. Let's market that one. Let's really go further with that. And that really kind of kept us true with that kind of customer segment, which is really where we're still at today. That makes sense. Did any of you have a, a business background or were you all technical? It's a mix. So Mike started coding when he was, I think, in like grade school. He did like calculator assembly and things like that. Wade was teaching himself to code throughout college and when we were working together. I taught myself to code in high school and built a lot of, I don't think I, you can call them startups, but let's say projects, right, that mm -hmm. I tried to charge for and eventually got to the point where I could pay beer money or you know rent maybe a few months with these services. And that was really informative. And that, that really helped build our awareness of tech and software and business all kind of as a part of that. Our backgrounds are not, like, I don't have a CS background. I'm, I'm the CTO, but it's one of those classic things where I love tech so much. I love building stuff and it's so fun that I didn't want to go to school for it because I feel like it would have taken the magic away from it. It's the same way I approach music. I like to figure out kind of, oh, that's a really cool sound. How does that work? Rather than let's learn the theory first and then let's make the sounds. If, if that makes sense, it's kind of an inverted way that I've always approached it. So we do have business backgrounds. We have a mix of that and technical just because we loved it. And so it's, it's a mm -hmm. whole mess of different <laughs> stuff. I'm not exactly sure how I first learned about Zapier, but I suspect that it was Googling for one or more of the services that we use. Right. And coming upon something which to me from the outside seems really smart, which is Zapier has landing pages for essentially every combination of services that you support. And I think landing pages for ones you don't yet support as well. Is that a really effective channel for you? And did that come about organically or was it something that some idea someone had and executed on? Some of the first things we did was reaching out to customers 
that had problems around connecting services. And, and the way we did this is we would go to, let's say, the Dropbox forum, and then we just searched for apps. <laughs> you know, we'd search Basecamp in the Dropbox forum, and lo and behold, there'd be a dozen or so forums, and this was back when Dropbox had like this big support or feature form, I forget exactly. And there's all these threads, and we would go in there and we'd comment and say, hey, I know you all are looking for this. We're working on something like this link to that landing page. That was the idea, right? Mm -hmm. It's like we'd go and we'd find all these folks that had this need, very niche needs, and in aggregate, they'd be really interested. What we found was, yeah, that people are searching this. Like people are just searching Basecamp Dropbox and they were looking for these things. So they found it and they would be really successful. They, there was not a whole lot out there for that. And there was a lot of missing ingredients. And because our system was literally built from the ground up, to mix and match and you can if you don't want to use dropbox into basecamp well you can use box or you can use any of the other services right and if you don't want to use basecamp maybe it's asana like from the ground up we had built it that way it really made sense and it made customers really successful so that one a lot of it is we were very fortunate um some of it is we built it the right way when we had a little bit of that background but still a big part of our go-to-market is around word of mouth and is around partnerships as well. So we work with all these partners and they have all these customers that want to have a yes to their questions too. So whenever they are looking at, should I buy Dropbox and they use Basecamp, they're asking that question and commonly the Basecamp team or the Dropbox team or whatever would send them our way, right? And say, yeah, yeah, we totally have that. It's totally supported. Check out Zapier, right? So that was another big way that we got a lot of customers as well. So it was it was no one ingredient. It was a lot of things kind of like adding up to give us kind of a toehold in the market um, and all around specific things, right? Very specific things rather than, it's not people searching like automation. How do I automate stuff? Because we're not there yet, right? Maybe in another five years or a decade, automation will be kind of like, uh, I would say 30 or 40 years ago, you'd hire typists, right? To type things up. Now everybody just does that, right? It's just a part of your life. You don't really think about it as much. And the keyboard is just something everyone has. That might be the way that automation could go in the future, but people certainly aren't searching that or it's not a standard thing in their repertoire today. But we hope to get there in the future where everyone's kind of like just reaching for these cool sorts of things and automating and building robots and doing all this cool stuff. It does feel like when you get a zap working, like this impossible moment of magic, especially for me as a, a non-developer, that you create this really powerful moment of delight for clients that must be really special. It is. And one of the unique things we've always done as Zapier is everyone on the team does customer support. So we, we call it all hand support. We've done that since the beginning and you get to interact with that and you get to see our customers have those really special moments of, wow, thank you. That that's incredible. And they're always unique. Everyone has like their own special flavor of how they build stuff and approach stuff. And there's such a broad diversity of the things that people are doing with Zapier that it's kind of being in tune with this sort of like maker sentimentality, which has been really great for us in terms of understanding the customer psyche. That's been something that's that we've just always done. There's nothing more exciting, I think, inside of Zapier than seeing someone do something really just like crazy and amazing and you see people all the time sharing cool anecdotes like in slack um, of all this cool stuff customers are doing so that's that's a really big thing for us but also at the same time we're really trying to provide not just like the powerful platform but 
I guess I would say more like direct ways on how you might use Zapier because I'm, I'm assuming, Lindsay, like you're coming with a systems thinker. Even if you're not technical, you're a systems thinker. You're probably thinking about this or that, this team, this person needs to know. Like that's like definitely a skill set as well and one that not everyone has. So we're trying to think of ways to even go higher abstraction, right? Where we don't talk about specifically building automations or anything like that, but instead, hey, here's a, here's a lead you need to get into your system so that you can contact them sooner and send them the right message at the right time so you can close that deal and drive your revenue up your company's success. So diving into those use cases and putting those front and center and then stepping into the specificity of what that use case is and giving them that like, holy crap, it works moment. And then going one step further and being like, not only can you do that, but you can add another thing and and like really opening up. And at that moment, you really got them in terms of they can take Zapier and start simple and then really expand and do all these like crazy stuff. Because we have users that literally have hundreds of apps running. It's just astounding. Like their entire business is running off Zapier and it's pretty powerful. It sounds like you're thinking about the future, making things better for your users today, but also you've alluded to sort of like automation in the future and the future of automation and that kind of thing. Like, how do you think about that? And how are you balancing the needs of the product today with maybe some like really more out there stuff when it comes to artificial intelligence and robotics and, and that sure. kind of thing? I think about this a lot. And one of the key things I would say is, you know, Zapier, the last we we reported is around 4 million or so users. And that's way less people than there are in businesses around the world. So most of our users have never heard of Zapier, right? Mm -hmm. So really thinking about those folks whenever you're building product is like such a core thing that we need to get better at. Because like, this is one of maybe the shadow side of doing all hand support is you're by necessity uh, de facto talking to customers you already have, right? Which is great, but we also need to get better at talking to, you know, who's going to be introduced to automation in five years and what conversation do we need to have with them? And I think that is where it gets really, really interesting. And you touch on things like AI and some of these other like tools that we'll probably want to adopt over time. I'm not exactly sure where those will land. If I knew, that'd be very exciting. (laughs) But certainly we do know that more people are going to be introduced to automation and how they're introduced to automation and how they can leverage it themselves is going to be very impactful, right? Like it's going to be super impactful. It certainly used to be that if you didn't have that fleet of engineers, that capital to like deploy, you couldn't add that to your system. So now a small team certainly dozens or however many or even just a single person can have some of that power with a little bit of time and a little bit of thought is very different from where it used to be and i how how that plays out over the next like five years next decade i'm not exactly sure but we we're really excited to be there right to be kind of on the forefront so we want to know about your secret automation skunk works team and your plan for global domination that's what we're getting at (laughs) global dom yeah uh, sorry to disappoint, uh, but we, I don't think we have a secret. Uh, Either that or it's so secret yeah. that you don't it's even so know secret, about it. Yeah. Okay, wink. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's like the double stealth mode, right? Yeah, it's like even we don't know what we're doing. Um, I think most of it is just really straightforward. It's showing up and just making it a little bit better than the day it was before. And for us, that has to do with making it a lot easier, making it a lot more straightforward, making sure that everyone that you know certainly hears this podcast starts to think huh i wonder if there are services out there that like what kind of silly things do i do data like am i copying a row from a spreadsheet 
Am I trying to like trigger off? Of, do I want things to happen whenever I update a value in a spreadsheet? Where are those moments in time as people are doing their day-to-day job, right? That they can think, why can't a robot just do this, right? Can't, why can't something just go in here and like move it over to that service and then send an email to that person? And if they reply, just send me back the thing. Like, why do I have to do this? And I think if we can get more people thinking that way, that it's again, it's kind of getting to that systems thinker. Maybe that's the secret plan to world domination is just to get everyone even aware that automation is a thing that they can dive into and they can have a hand at. It's not just this scary future thing that we're going to have to figure out how to like deal with as a society. It's a tool you can reach in and work on today and kind of play with today. And maybe it's not artificial general intelligence or anything like that. But if you need that file moved from there and you're tired of doing it yourself, well, there's a zap that can kind of help you do that. And that's exciting. And that's why when we talk about these sorts of things, it's a little more kind of straightforward. It's just like a little bit better each day, making a little bit clearer, a little bit easier, a little bit more straightforward to use is really what we want to do. And if we can do that over the course of years and years, it'll add up to really powerful change. And that's that's kind of where our head's at and where we kind of live day to day. So you've clearly grown beyond your humble roots in Missouri. So what does Zapier look like today? Yeah, today we're a little over 250 people on the engineering side, which is where I spend a lot of time. We're about 90 something people. We have a ton of customer support just because we're, we're just like crazy about like talking to users and working with users and making them successful. It's a big, big part of our DNA. And certainly in 2019, we spent more time trying to think about go to market and more of this other sort of things around like marketing messages and things like that, which we, you know, in the past, we just haven't done as much. So Mm -hmm. it's definitely a big part of it is just growth. It's just growth in terms of numbers, but growth in terms of impact and growth in terms of what we're doing for customers and certainly for folks inside of Zapier growing them. So a lot of it has changed, but at the core, you know, that thread that connects it all is still just we want everybody to be able to automate stuff. Like everybody should be able to build these robots, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of what we started out with and that's kind of where we're at today. And it's really lucky that we're we're able to kind of stay with that kind of consistent thing and that customers have found a lot of value and a lot of success as a result of it. So a lot of things have changed, but that core central thing really hasn't. It's still kind of at the heart of what we do at Zapier. So given that you have that strong focus on growth right now, how are you funding that growth? So we've been profitable for years now. There's articles and all that good stuff out there where we did raise uh, some money back in 2012. But because we had built this sort of economic engine of just really focusing on small businesses and making sure that we were building something that they would value and would pay for, We've been really fortunate that that has been the primary thing that has funded us uh, since then. So we haven't had to do a lot of fundraising or any of that sort of stuff, which has really kept our focus really pure. It's the product that is funding the product. So the more investments we do there, the faster it grows and the, the better we do. And it's just really pure. It's kind of it's kind of funny to say, but a lot of times in the VC world, the dream is on the other side, right? Like it's all this funding, all this craziness. And then someday in the future, maybe it'll be a sustainable business. We kind of did it the other way around. We certainly took some fundraising as well, but we were really fortunate to get that profitability and we really focused and doubled down on that. It's weird, but that's a very kind of like Mm -hmm. counter example in like Silicon Valley, certainly, but uh, it, it definitely worked for us. Well, and, and from my perspective as a Zapier user, especially since we're so 
dependent on it for running the different ins and outs of our day-to-day work, it gives me confidence to know that it's not this entirely VC-funded thing that's not profitable that could tomorrow say, oh, we couldn't make it work. We're shutting down. Right. That has yeah. always been in the no. back of my mind as I've used Zapier. And Those are just the confidence. things we're zapping to each other. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, you're not, you're not alone there. I mean, you look at a big part of our life is working with partners and making sure they're successful. And that's, I mean, that's huge for us. And for them to look at Zapier and be like, oh, okay, you all are profitable. You're going to be around. This is not going to be flash in the pan or anything like that. It means a lot, right? And it's another, you know, success breeds success. We're very fortunate there, but being able to, really self-fund and kind of control our own destiny, that is really, really powerful. I mean, one of the things we think of as ourselves certainly is we're kind of this neutral party. We work with all the services, right? We really want them all to succeed and they all have something really unique to provide. And there's all these cool best in class services. Like we have CRMs that are specialized for everything from yoga studios to real estate agents to you name it. And they're all really vertically aligned and we can support all of them because that under the hood we have this powerful engine that like does all this stuff but how it's expressed by users there's all this extra creativity that's like brought to it um so we're certainly really fortunate with that and i think having a ton of success in terms of profitability and kind of sustainability uh, certainly breeds more and now with over 200 employees almost 100 in the engineering group What do you feel are your core responsibilities as the CTO of this organization at this particular stage? What are you focused on? I kind of wear two titles. Um, One is CTO and one is co-founder. The CTO title certainly is around some of the architectural challenges and some of the technical challenges that we have in scaling a service. Some of it's like very just let's make sure the service scales and doesn't fall over and is reliable and things like that. Some of it's more organizational building, right? This is something that's really become clear to me over the years is this not everything, as much as I'd love it to be, not every problem can be fixed with just writing code. Um, there's lots of people involved and lots of process and all this other stuff. So getting better at that and being able to navigate, that's been a big part of my life. But on the other side as a co-founder, it's a little bit of everything, right? You know, if the floor needs sweeping, you, you sweep the floor. Like that kind of a attitude, default to actions, like kind of one of our values. It's one of our top ones where you aren't just strictly bound by your roles. If you see something that, hey, that would be better for the user, I'm just going to do that. Making a little bit of like leeway and room to make that happen is really, really important. So certainly as a part of that title, there's always kinds of little things popping up all over the place that I certainly want to make sure to help out with and spend time on. And so those are really important. So that, that stuff that tends to be more cultural or interpersonal things or you name it, like it's, it's a lot of stuff. It's a, it's a long tail list. Well, if it isn't clear enough in our conversation, I love your product and, and use it a whole lot. And I am so happy to get the opportunity to talk to you. Brian, thanks for stopping by and sharing with us. Yeah, thank you. We really appreciate you using us and having us on. It's been fun. Brian, if people want to get in touch with you or follow along with you, where's the best place for them to do that? Yeah, I'm I'm happy to take emails. Uh, All our emails are on the website. I'd recommend everyone, if you're thinking about automation or you feel like there's stuff in your life that you feel like a robot could perhaps help you out with, check us out. We have a great support team. They can help you set anything that you might want to get set up tons of options. It's really powerful, really easy to use, but I'm always happy to answer any sort of questions. Feel free to shoot me 
Um, I don't spend a lot of time on Twitter or anything like that. So email is probably the best bet there. Cool. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email Lindsay and I at hosts at giantrobots.fm. You can find me on Twitter at cpytel. And you can find me on Twitter at lindsay3d. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Thanks for listening and see See you you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, and Raleigh, let's build something great together.